0: All right, good morning, everyone. <laughs> in case you just are not familiar with the place, my name is David Dale, and I am Minister of Music here. I'm delighted to welcome you to our service today. It's nice and warm in here, and the sun is shining outside where it's cold, but it's nice and warm in here. We're glad that you're here. We're going to have a wonderful time of worship this morning. There are multiple announcements, but I'm going to leave you to read those, and I know they've been sliding on the screen, so you've probably already read most of them. I would say those of you who are visiting this morning, there's a tear-off tab in the bulletin. Please fill that out, put it in the offering plate as it's passed later in the service, and we'll have a record of your visit, and we would appreciate that. Also, visitors and guests alike, if you have a prayer need you want to mention, our church staff meets every Tuesday morning, and we pray over the needs that you share with us, so It is our privilege to do that, and we're glad to pray over the needs that you share with us to pray for. We're going to begin by singing this morning, Crown Him with Many Crowns. Would you stand as we sing, please?
1: Savior in prayer. Holy Father, what a privilege it is on this beautiful day outside that we might gather in the comforts of this place, hear your word preached and proclaimed, then join in the great hymns of praise and adoration and thanksgiving unto you. Thank you for the presence of your spirit in this place today. Father, there are many, many needs among each of us as we've gathered today. Special requests, special needs in the lives of individuals. We pray for those special needs this morning. And Lord, as they are confessed and acknowledged unto you, that you would minister to them in accordance unto your will. Thank you for the blessed Holy Spirit who seeks to guide and to comfort and to encourage her. We wanna thank you for our church family, Lord. We wanna thank you for our pastor, our staff, and our deacon fellowship, and the many committees and different people that carry on and fulfill so many of the responsibilities in the church. Father, thank you for those people here this morning early making preparation for our gathering today. We sometimes take these for granted, but we wanna praise you and thank you for them. And we ask now that you would be as our pastor in a very special way as he brings your message. May we have ears to hear, a heart that is open to receive and a sensitivity, our Father, to respond unto your word as it is shared with us. If there be one that does not know you as Savior and Lord, may this be the hour. We pray in the name that is above every name, Jesus Christ our Lord, amen.
0: From time to time, we have opportunity to sing a choral anthem that's uh, sort of unique. This next piece is a very familiar hymn, Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Thee. It was a commissioned piece for the First Presbyterian Church in Hollywood, California. The unique thing is for choir and organ. And we're gonna do that. We're glad to have Daryl playing for us this morning. for you to turn to your hymnal. The words are gonna be on the screen, but take your hymnal out of a rack there. Unusual moment here. Turn to number 332. It's called Breathe on Me. <laughs> we're gonna sing another song first, and then we're gonna sing Breathe on Me. When we get to the third verse, it's gonna be a cappella. I would bet that half of you all have been in a choir somewhere. It might have been a children's choir, it might have been a high school choir, college choir, I don't know. Maybe this choir one time. But when we get to the third verse, we want to sing it in parts, alto, tenor, bass part, and a cappella. So I want you to have the hymnal ready. The words will be on the screen, but if you can read the music on the third verse of Holy Spirit, Breathe On Me. I'm going to ask the choir to come to the audience now, and they're going to be filtered around helping us sing this. Before we sing Breathe On Me, we're going to sing Mighty Is Our God. So let's start with that one.
2: Mighty is our God, mighty is
1: pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, it's good to feel your spirit here, Lord. Lord, we just ask you to continue to be with us in this service. Would you take this offering that we're about to give to bless the giver and bless the giving, Lord, and do your will and your kingdom. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.
3: Thank you, Daryl. Thank you so much for that. Our t- we have 19 teenagers and I believe seven adults in Pigeon Forest City for our winter retreat. And I, we have a video here we want to show. Um, there's two videos. It's actually one of Zach, and then we have one of. Jerry uh, told me to stop talking. So. Then we we'll don't know if it got fixed. So. But are our, our videos ready? All right, we're ready.
4: Hi, I'm Zach Bauer. I'm the student pastor at Broadway Baptist Church, and we are down here in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. We made it safely today. Thank you for all of your prayers. Uh, and, and not just for making it here safely, but also uh, for the prayers uh, of what God is going to do this weekend. And God has already begun to work uh, in our students. We're seeing uh, bonds and friendships uh, begin and grow. Uh, but also tonight, we had four students respond to the gospel. So uh, we are excited about what's ahead, uh, excited to talk to those students about baptism. Uh, so we are really excited about what's going to happen tomorrow night. So we're expecting uh, more tomorrow night, we're hoping for more salvation night and more responses uh, so keep praying for us uh, and we are excited about what God is doing in the student ministry at Broadway.
5: Hi my name is Dal Newsom and I'm a member of Broadway Baptist Youth Program. We are currently in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee at the Street to Stand Conference for our Wonder Retreat 2018. This is my seventh year going Um, Somebody asked me today what winter retreat means to me, and to me winter retreat means a lot of different things. Um, First off, it brings a lot of memories back. Um, I've made some of my lifelong friends, and I've built some great relationships over the past seven years. And um, another thing that really um, makes winter retreat special to me is how when we're at these conferences, um, they provide like a sense of fullness in your heart. Coming out of the Christmas season, you typically have a full heart, um, full of Jesus and everything. But somehow this conference seems to like fill you completely, and it pushes you forward throughout the year and just gives you anything you, like anything you could possibly need to conquer the world with everything going, coming against you. Um, I just wanted to say thank you guys for praying for us and continue to pray for us as um, the, this weekend progresses and we'll see what God can do in our lives. That was Zach,
3: and that was Dallin. That's our update there at Winter Retreat. So it's certainly exciting folks, uh, teenagers, giving their lives to the Lord and seeing how the Lord is certainly working in their lives. So it's very encouraging. That's uh, our theme, I guess, for this month, is stories. Zach made that last night. They left at 9 o'clock in the morning, uh, uh, took the big bus down there to Pigeon Forging and and got there safely in the snow, and then um, uh, certainly seeing God certainly uh, uh, doing great things. They'll be returning Tomorrow evening, I think they leave around noon, 1 o'clock, right there after lunch, and they, they head back up here. So be in prayer for our teenagers is they're down there. That's the um, It's called Strength to Stand Conference. It's certainly where they're at. If you have your Bible, and I certainly hope you do, you always need to bring your Bible to church, turn to your Bible book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 20. We're going to look at two places here in the Bible. We're kind of, This month we're going through the parables of Jesus, looking at some of them. The theme is called stories. Jesus was a story. Teller, He went around telling stories, and we're looking at some of those stories, and we're going to see one here. And this is a story you don't really see, hear preached and taught about a lot, because you read this and go, what on earth does this even mean? What's Jesus talking about? It's the story of the vineyard workers. But then a, a good way to understand this is um, after we read this story and talk about it a little bit, we're going to flip over our Bible, we're going to find in the Old Testament book of the book of Jonah. We all know the story of Jonah, and we all know Jonah 1 through 3. But then there's chapter 4 of Jonah, and something odd happens in chapter 4. And we're, we're going to look at that in the Scriptures. It really speaks about what we call the character of God, and it really about God's grace. God thinks and acts differently than we do. And we're going to see this. Uh, Jonah 4 ties in perfectly with Matthew chapter 20. And one, we see here how, um, how the Lord is, is gracious. He's a giving God, and he, he wants to bless folks. And we're going to see it in an unusual way. And He does it in ways that doesn't even make sense to us. And there's things that occur. How all this ties in with everything is um, we all want the Lord to work in our life, and we want God to certainly bless us and uh, see the Lord. But a lot of times we don't always see how that uh, certainly occurs. I have a couple of pictures here. Um, I wanted to show something that happened in China. China, actually, uh, there's great revival going on in China, at least the past uh, uh, 30, 40 years, even there under communist reign. And of all newspapers, the New York Times actually ran a study about China, about a church that got demolished. Do we have these pictures here? It's, um, this is a picture of a church. Uh, that's, uh, if, I, that might be, I don't know if it's the largest church in China, but it's one of, way up there at the very top, one of the largest churches there in China, and 50,000 folks worship there. Now, they might not all worship in that building at one time. They probably have multiple services on different days, but this is a uh, church building, and two weeks ago, Chinese government decided they were going to destroy the church, and they sent bulldozers in there with cranes and tore it down. We have one more picture here of it, and there, there goes their steeple. There, That was that church building. It was built 10, 12 years ago, and the Chinese government decided that it no longer met the building code requirements, so they destroyed the entire. It was a multi-million dollar building. They said that's the largest church there. And you see, you and this was uh, this was the newspaper, and you read about this, and you see these pictures, and you say, God, why, why did this occur? Like, no, I mean the the reason given from the government, the government's doing this, is that it doesn't meet the building code. So it doesn't mean building code. You've got to tear down the entire building, just make like maybe a giant mess everywhere. And the real truth is, uh, they're trying to stamp out Christianity. I mean, this is what one of, uh, our Christian brothers on the other side of the globe have to endure. All of a sudden, one day, your church building, uh, unannounced, is make sure they clear out the building and say it's time to destroy the building. And I share this because it's easy for us to say, uh, Lord, why did this occur? Is this a satanic attack? I mean, is the church going to die out? Uh, why, why would a God... Why would God allow something like this to occur? The largest church there, possibly the largest church in China, to all of a sudden get destroyed. And the answer to this is we don't know but the, uh, we don't know why God allowed this to occur, but we have to trust in the providence and the Lord, and that's what we're going to see right here. It, it's easy for us to say, to look at stories like this and say, this isn't fair, this isn't just. You just don't, government shouldn't just go in and bulldoze a massive building just because they, they don't want it there anymore. It's, it's not fair, Lord. And that's exactly what we're about to see here. We're about to see some people essentially accuse God of not being fair. So that's the story of the vineyard workers here. We don't, uh, mo- probably most of us don't work in a vineyard. I don't even know if there are any vineyards around here in, uh, in, in, in the bluegrass gra- blue area. But in Bible times, the premium drink was wine. That was expensive. And if you grew grapes, you could make wine. It, were, it was known as the vineyard. So, and that was a, but it required a lot of work. Obviously, 2,000 years ago, they didn't have machinery like they do today. So you had to hire people to come in and work the vineyard and pick your grapes. And it, was, uh, it required a lot of folks. And we're about to see this story here about the man. And, and a, a day's wage back in Bible times was called a denarii. And that was, uh, you worked a whole day. You got a denarii, and that paid for your, basically, what you essentially needed to live off of. So here we go. I want you to follow along in this story. This is Jesus telling a a, a story here. Verse 1, says, For the kingdom of heaven is like, now remember, right there, the kingdom of heaven, that's our clue. God is not telling us about what fairness is like in the world. He's saying, here's a story of what my Father's kingdom is really like. He's like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. So it was six, seven in the morning. We're going to go hire some workers. After agreeing with the workers on one denarius, he sent them in his vineyard for the day. So they agreed to work uh, for a, um, uh, a day. Den- I don't know if Lexington have it, but it, in Georgia they had folks called day laborers and they would stand at gas stations and typically construction the trucks would pull in, and I know where one was at. There'd be 40 or 50 folks, usually there from Mexico. They're standing there, and they'd pick them up, and literally they just pay them cash under the table, and they'd agree hey, I'll work for 100 bucks. You take me to the construction site, and I'll do it, $100. So that's essentially what this is like. We need some vineyard workers. I need some folks right now. We've gotta, it's, it's grape season, I've got to make my product. So here going in, they're picking up some workers. That's what he's saying. So we agreed to work for a denarii. And it's early in the morning. So that's our agreement. We're going to uh, work, uh, do this for one day. Verse 3. When he went out about 9 in the morning, so he needs some more workers. He didn't get enough there, so he goes out again at 9 in the morning. He saw others standing in the marketplace doing Nothing. He said to them, you also, that means they're playing on their phones. That's what it means to do nothing. He said to them, you also go into my vineyard and I'll give you whatever is right. Notice he didn't say the amount. He just said whatever is right. So now we're picking, up, we're picking up folks on their phone at 9 o'clock in the morning. And off they went. Verse 5, about noon, so it's lunchtime, and about 3, he went out again and did the same thing. So, I mean, there's wherever he's just finding a lot of folks staying around. We're just picking them up one after another. He's just... Throw them in this pickup truck. and We're going to the vineyard. I've got a lot of grapes. I mean, this, remember this story here. Any parable about from Jesus, who's the master, the owner of vineyards, this represents God. It's what we're seeing here. He's the one picking folks up. So we went out about early in the morning, 6, 7 o'clock, show up at 9, then noon and 3, and we're getting everybody. So he did the same thing there in verse 5. Then in verse 6, about, then about 5 o'clock, now remember, we get off work at 6, so 5 o'clock, we only have an hour left, so it's going to turn dark soon. He went out and found others standing around and said to them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Like, well, you've wasted your day. I'm dying for workers over here at my vineyard. And then his answer is, because no one hired us. These guys slept really late, and they didn't get out to the gas station in time. They said to him, so you, you also go out my vineyard, he told them. So now he's picking up people with only one hour left or so. Verse 8, when evening came, the owner of the vineyard told his foreman, call the workers and give them their pay, starting with the last and ending with the first. So the last are those folks that got picked up at 5 o'clock. They didn't work very long, their hands aren't very dirty, they're, uh, they're, well, they're well rested. Verse 9, when those who were hired about 5 came, they each received one Daenerys. So when the first ones came, they, the, the early ones that were hired way early in the morning, they assumed they would get more. Now, but remember, what did they agree to? Those workers at 6, 7 in the morning said they worked for one Daenerys. So they just assumed, since, hey, this guy's generous, he's going to pay the 5 o'clock guys, only worked an hour Daenerys, man, I'm going to get, maybe he's paying a Daenerys an hour. Maybe I'll get like 11 or 12 denarius. But no. Look what happens. The first ones came, they assumed they would get more. But they also received a denarius each. When they received it, look at this, they began to complain to the landowner. I say, whoa, whoa, whoa. This isn't fair. I've been out in the vineyard 10, 11 hours, and I'm getting the same old pay as those guys you picked up at 5? They didn't even work but an hour. I mean, in our thinking, look, I mean, there would be some labor laws against this. I mean, this is not fair. We'd have to call a government agent. Something would have to be done about this. This landowner is paying the same amount to the guys that were picked up at 5, those that were picked up at 6 in the morning. I mean, you and I would be, we'd be complaining too. Say, whoa. This isn't right. They begin to complain to the landowner. Verse 12, These last men put in one hour, and you made them equal to us, who bore the burden of the day's work and the burning heat. All day long I've been working. Then look what the landowner says. The owner says this. He replied to, to one of them, Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Didn't you agree with me on a Daenerys? Take what's yours and go. He said, you, you, you agree. I don't want, I want to give this last man the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want to do with what's mine? Are you jealous because I'm generous? Remember, it's a story about God's character here. God paid the same as the guy who worked one hour versus the guy who worked 11. Then Jesus says, So the last will be first and the first will be last. Now, when we see this story here, we don't understand this because we would say, Well, that's not fair. He should have paid the guys who were working all day long more than those who worked an hour. I mean, that's just common sense. But the story, what, God, what Jesus is trying to say, he's illustrating this to share about his father's character, God. He's saying, my father owns the vineyard. He's the one who hires you. He's the one who picks You agreed to work for this amount. And if he wants to pay the guy who worked for one hour the same, isn't it his money? Can't he make that decision? Isn't he a generous God? How does that bother you if he's generous? These guys were saying, Lord, it's not fair. And what we see here is the master's telling the grumbling workers that he has every right to reward those the way he sees fit. Guys, if someone gets saved at just minutes or hours before they pass away, they receive the same heaven you and I go to that have been saved for decades. Decades. And it's easy for us to say, whoa, Lord, I have been serving you faithfully as a child. I've been tithing. I come to church even in the snow. I come to Bible study. I read every day. Why on earth does this guy who gets saved on his deathbed, who's lived like a heathen his whole life, and yet he repents like the thief on the cross? Remember the thief on the cross? Jesus told, today you will be with me in paradise. He got saved at the last minute. And God says, You will be, you'll go, you're going to heaven, thief on the cross. You're in. And it's easy for us to say, This isn't fair. This isn't right, Lord. And then the owner's trying to say, or the owner is saying here, Who are you to tell God what is fair and what's unfair? Are we the ones to judge on God's justice? Do we determine with the Lord what is right and wrong? Are we able to make judgment calls on the Lord? You know, God's justice. If God was truly just, do you know every single one of us would be in hell? We are separated from the Lord. Our sin separates us from God. This story here, this terrible is really it's it's reminding us that we should not question god's character god is a gracious god and if he wants to save someone and bless someone even at the 11th hour he can do it who are we to judge who are we to tell him he can't do something we're we we can not tell we can't tell the lord we have no right, no Christian, all of us here have no right to feel jealous of what God has given to other believers. Even if it's late in their life, God's a generous God to all he says, Flip over in your Bible, look at the book of Jonah. Many of you are saying, Pastor, where's the book of Jonah? It's behind the book of Obadiah. So if you find Obadiah, the next book over is Jonah. So Obadiah is a very short book, and then you get to the book of Jonah. It's, it's called a minor prophet, not because Jonah's less, but because it's a shorter book. and uh, Now, we all know Jonah. We know those first three chapters. Jonah Jonah calls God out on this exact same issue here that Matthew wrote about in Matthew chapter 20. Jonah was mad at God because he saved the Ninevites, and he didn't want them to die. He he, he didn't want them saved, he wanted them to die. And what we see here is that the Lord is under no obligation... To give grace to anyone. In fact, the word grace means it's a gift. You know, if God gives, if God, if God saves someone, even at the last hour, even someone we don't feel is worthy, even someone else is getting a blessing, we should say, Amen. That's wonderful for them. That's God's grace. He's being gracious upon them. You know, have you ever felt God owes you maybe more? You've just been faithful to the Lord for many years, and this is, this is a tempting attitude that many Christians have. If you've been saved and you've been in church and, and the Pharisees were developing this, they felt you know God, we're just owed more. they, they have been serving the Lord faithfully and following their Old Testament, and here are these new believers are starting these so-called sinners. And Jesus is blessing them and letting them into the kingdom. He doesn't want anyone to be lost. And they're getting upset and they're questioning God's justice. And and it's the attitude of their heart that Jesus is speaking to. Jonah struggled with this. Look at this. I hope you found it. Jonah chapter 4. I want you to follow along. This is a great Old Testament story of this. Jonah chapter 4. What happened? Jonah... God tells him to go to Nineveh. He says, great, I'm going to hop on a boat I'm going to go to Tarshish. If you look on the map, Tarshish is the opposite direction. Nineveh. So they go, he goes off to another place. The exact opposite. Big storm comes in the boat. We have to get, throw him out of the boat. A uh, large fish swallows Jonah, possibly a whale. He's in the uh, well, for three days, three nights. they Amazingly, the fish spits Jonah on the dry land. God speaks to Jonah and again and says, All right, it's time to go to Nineveh. Let's try one more time. Jonah realizes he can't run from God, so he goes to Nineveh and he preaches to the people. He tells the people to repent. Nineveh was a wicked city. And he goes there and he proclaims the message of the Lord. Nineveh is like Lexington, it's a big city, wicked people. Unchurched people, lostness everywhere. And he went there and he went around proclaiming the gospel to all the folks there in Nineveh. And look what happened uh, God relented. So now what happens? The people turn from their sin and God doesn't destroy them. So now this is really strange what's about to happen. Jonah gets angry at God. And I want to tell you why Jonah was angry. Because Jonah was one of these guys who was a godly Jewish man. He loved the Lord and he knew Nineveh was a wicked city. Yet he also knew God was a gracious God. And he knew if he went and preached the gospel to these people in Nineveh, there was a great possibility that the Lord would relent his destruction. He claimed he was going to destroy the city and actually save the folks. And... Truthfully, Jonah, he didn't like the po- folks. He just didn't like them. And he's, his attitude was, you know, these people deserve it. These people have been... Have you, ever, have you ever known anybody that just... They deserve to get judgment. They deserve... You know, they've made bad decisions. And they need the consequences to that. And the Lord needs to straighten them out and set them right. They don't need any forgiveness You've been hurt by them, and they need to pay the price for that. That's how Jonah felt about Nineveh. That's how these vineyard workers that worked one hour they felt, you know, they should receive less. At least the guys that were working eleven hours they felt these guys were were working They should receive less. There's an attitude here of, you know, you get what you deserve throughout life. Yet that's not how God is going to portray this. We're going to see that it's God's graciousness that He saved. So look what happens here. Jonah verse four, chapter 4, verse 1. Jonah was greatly displeased and became furious. He's mad because God relented. He prayed to the Lord, Please, Lord, isn't this what I thought while well, I was still in my own country? He says, God, I knew this was going to happen. I knew You were going to save them. I knew Your grace was going to we're going to change these folks' lives. That's why I fled toward Tarshish in the first place. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and one who relents from sending disaster. I want to tell you, have you ever wanted revenge on someone? Have you ever been hurt, and you want to strike back? You want to, whether, maybe not physically, but you want to lash out with your words, or you want to, you want to hit back with them? That's how... This is what God is teaching Jonah in this parable here of the vineyard workers is that's not how God responds. Even when people have sinned and hurt him, he doesn't hit back. He doesn't come back and attack them. We see a picture of God's character as when He hits, when you hit the Lord, what does He do? He tries to save you. It's a completely opposite response. He doesn't speak bad about anybody. In fact, he wants them to get saved. And Jonah knew this about God's character. When you see someone out of church, when you see someone who's who's lost and they've turned away from the Lord, does your heart break for them? Are you saddened? Do you want them back in the sheep pen? That's how the Lord acts towards these folks here in Nineveh. Yet we look at him and go, that man deserves it. He cheated on his wife. She's a sorry mother. He's a crook. They need to go to jail. We come in with a justice attitude. God's justice is salvation. Because he knows, yes, we might have some justice here on earth, but the real justice is coming after death. That's when you're judged. That's when the real real judge is going to judge you. And Jonah knew this about God's character. He's going to save save the Ninevites if he goes and preaches to them. Verse 3, And now, Lord, take... (laughs) Jonah's one of these guys. He wanted to die. And now, Lord, take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. Because God, I'm sick of this. Why do I serve you all these years? And these other folks, they don't, yet you're, you're giving them the same blessing as you're giving me. The Lord asked, verse 4, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah, why are you mad? Why are you angry about this? Jonah left the city and found a place east of it. <laughs> he didn't answer that question. Knows. He made himself a shelter there and sat in its shade to see what would happen to the city. You know what he wanted. He wanted it to be destroyed. He's waiting for the show. Then the Lord appointed a plan and it grew over Jonah to provide shade for his head and rescue him from the trouble. Jonah's just sitting out on top of a hill overlooking the city, and he's wanting to see a Sodom and Gomorrah. He wants to see fire come down from heaven, destroy everybody. He wants to see the show. God, destroy this wicked city. So God, while he's watching the show, a plant grows over his head, of all things, and it provides shade. Jonah was greatly pleased with the plant. He needed some shade, so he was happy. God gave him some shade. When dawn came the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant, and it withered. This little plant died. Now a worm ate it up. So now the little plants died. And as the sun was rising, God appointed a scorching east wind. The sun beat down on Jonah's head so much that he almost fainted, and he wanted to die. He was happy with the plant, but now he wanted to die again. He said, it's better for me to die than to live. Now I want you all to see what's going on. Who made the little plant grow? Who sent the worm? Who's providing the shade? Who's in total control of this whole situation? God is. That's the, God is trying to show to Jonah, saying, Jonah, I've got the whole world. in my I'm holding it. I make the little plant grow. I make the little worm over here kill the little plant. I even sent the scorching sun to just burn your head up. I'm in total control of this situation. Just like in Matthew, I own the vineyard. If I want to pay the guys a denarius that work, whatever, I'll do it. It's my money to give away. What, are you going to fault me for being generous? We're seeing a picture here of God's in total control. And I think this tying this all together, Lord, this is our brought with is our life from the Lord. He's got it. He is in total control of this situation in your life. And Jonah doesn't understand, but we serve a gracious God. So look what happens here. Now Jonah's ready to die again because the, the little plant died. Then God asked Jonah, "Is it right for you to be angry about the plant?" "Yes, it's right," he replied. "I'm angry enough to die." So he's mad about the plant because God killed the plant. So the Lord said, you cared about the plant which you did not labor over and it di- and you did not grow it. It appeared in a night and it perished in a night. I grew the plant. I owned the plant. I sent the worm and the, and the wind. But look at this. This is the main point, Broadway. But I, But may I not care about the great city of Nineveh which has more than 120,000 people who cannot distinguish between their right and their left, as well as many animals. Nineveh was so wicked, even the animals wouldn't behave their owners. I mean, they didn't know, they were, even the little dog didn't know it's right from left. God was trying, and that, the book ended. That's a weird way to end the book, but that's how the book ended. I want to tell you what God was telling Jonah. He's telling us from this. He says, Jonah, it's not your decision, it's not our decision today what God is going to do, and who He's going to save. We literally live a life saying, Lord, You are gracious. And whatever happens, all I know is my attitude is I'm going to serve the Lord. For me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to be faithful. And whether or not you show show graciousness on Nineveh, or on the vineyard workers, or folks that get saved at the 11th hour, that's not for me to decide. Lord, that's for You. In our fallen condition, sinful life, we're tempted to believe that God somehow owes us something other than justice. God, church, God doesn't owe us anything. He didn't even have to send that little plant to help, help Jonah stay in the shade. If God were to pour His justice on us, none of us could stand. This reminds us a picture. Listen, we're going to have an invitation soon. God sent His Son to die on a cross And we don't deserve it. We do not deserve salvation. It is solely by God's grace we're saved. If you are saved this morning, if you have had Jesus in your heart, you should be thankful to the Lord that you're in the fold, that you're not part of the city of Nineveh or, or in the vineyard or you're lost or not in church this morning. God has the right to show His grace on whomever He wants to. He saves people from their sin. Grace, by definition, it's not owed, so we have no right to complain about it. We do not understand God's justice. We think justice is a different. God sees justice as the very end, a final judgment. People are going to be judged by whether they're saved or church or if they're lost. That's God's final justice. And he wants folks who are saved in Nineveh here. These 120,000 people, he wanted them saved. God cared about the city of Nineveh, but Jonah didn't. He didn't care about it. Listen, does God care about Lexington? Does God love the folks here? And now, do you love, does your heart long for the lostness of our city? There's many people here who do not know Jesus. And that's all God cares about. He wants them saved. He wants them in a relationship with Him. And the Lord is speaking through these passages to say, Brother, if I care about Nineveh, I care about Lexington. Even if you don't care about Lexington, I, the Lord, do. So what are our takeaways? What do we see from this morning here? What do we see from these two passages? God is always more than fair. What's fair in our eyes might not be, or what's fair in God's eyes might not be fair in our eyes. We don't think our justice system isn't the same as the Lord's. We see His is based on grace. He wants folks saved. You know, the thief on the cross, he received salvation, he inherited the kingdom of God, just like the one who labored for their entire lives. I'll never forget. About four or five years ago, someone asked me to come um, share. They were in the hospital. There um, it was a lady, and she was lost. She didn't go to church. She, um, she just lived without the Lord. And um, her daughter wanted me to share the gospel with her mother. And I went there, and, and she, was just, uh, she was still responsive. She was just several, several days away, a week or so away. She was at her final hour, and I went and shared the gospel with her. And she got saved. And uh, she prayed right there on the, in the hospital room. I read John three sixteen. very simple. She prayed and asked Christ to come in her life and gave her life to the Lord. And she wasn't able to get baptized, wasn't able to walk the aisle and make it public. Uh, she may have told a couple of nurses in her family about her decision, but that's all she could do. And she said there afterwards, because uh, she had a few more days before she went to be a Lord, and I spoke to her, and she said, you know, Dan, I've given my life to the Lord. But you know, in many ways, you know, she knew she was at the very end. She was dying of cancer. I also wasted my life for the Lord. She gave her life to the Lord, but she wasted her life for the Lord. She's in heaven right now. She gave her life to Jesus. She lived 70-something years, and she did not have the opportunity to serve Jesus. She didn't do anything for Him except at the very end. That's one of the setbacks for getting saved later in life. You waste all those years living for the Lord. If we're not careful, we will develop the same attitude as those workers that were hired in the 6 or 7 o'clock in the morning. Or like Jonah. We should be thankful that we're saved. Not trying to judge other people and thinking, well, why are they getting saved? Why is God blessing them? Why is this Lord occurring in their life when I've been faithfully serving you? You remember the parable of the prodigal son? You know, the real prodigal son It's not so much about the younger son. It's about the oldest son. He couldn't even come in because his dad showed grace upon the younger son and welcomed him back home after he squandered the family's wealth. The oldest son stayed in the field. And had to send the servants to dad and say, Dad, I refuse to participate in the party. I'm going to stand out here in the field. And then daddy had to walk out there and say, Son, what are you doing? You've always been with me. What I have is yours. And we had to be celebrated because this son of yours was lost and he's found again. That's a picture of God's grace on people's life. Listen, if God has that same attitude, if the Lord loves lost people, then you should love lost people. This is a picture of God's character. And he's saying, you and I should th- think the same way he does. We should have a desire that folks here in Lexington love Jesus. If God loves Nineveh, which Jonah wanted to see fire and brimstone come down and destroy him, Jonah didn't love Nineveh. The Lord did. And the last thing is, we see here, we should rejoice when one sinner, no matter what time, comes to saving faith in Jesus Christ. No matter who they are, we don't question their motives. All we know is that if anybody turns to the Lord, at even the 11th hour, God's grace saves them. Now listen, we know this to be a fact in the Scripture. This should inspire and motivate us to tell others about Jesus. If God's grace goes out to everyone, how is he using you to share that? Do you, are you broken over your city? Are you broken over your family members? Or are you like Jonah saying, well, these folks deserve it. They need it. You know, their judgment's coming. Our hearts should be broken over the lostness around us in our nation. We should be saddened what we see about politics. We should be saddened about some of the attitudes famous people take, sports celebrities. Church, we as Christians, we are called to God's grace is for everyone. It goes out and it's saving grace. Anyone at any hour can turn to Jesus and be saved. Some of you, this message is for you because you need Jesus You're at your 11th hour, and you have wasted your life. Just like a lady I led to the Lord four or five years ago at Noonan Hospital, and she realized, I have gone my life without living for the Lord. Here I am. And she's saved, and she's in heaven, but she wasted her life. God doesn't want anybody to waste their life. He sent His Son, Jesus, to die so no one goes to hell. No one deserves to go to heaven. God's grace goes out, including here in the sanctuary today, if you don't know the Lord, He's speaking to you, and He's calling you to Himself. I want to pray for you right now. God, I pray for the folks here. Lord, I pray as your, your grace goes out, Lord, as the Gospel speaks to us, we see from this unusual story, it reminds us that who are we to question you? We don't know how you work. All we know is you are the landowner, and if you want to be generous, you can be generous. And Lord, we pray your generosity spreads over this morning. Lord, we pray that you speak to us. We pray we don't have the attitude of Jonah, where all of a sudden we we sit on the mountain, and we secretly want, want people to fail. Lord, it's our heart's desire to see Nineveh destroyed. Lord, that's not your desire. Lord, I pray today you will speak to our hearts and say, Lord, do I have the same attitude you have? God, move in our lives and give us a desire to see your grace and goodness to go among everyone, for every church, for every Christian, for every lost person to turn to you. God, I pray this morning, if there's anybody here, they need to walk this aisle. Lord, if you save Nineveh, you can save Lexington. Lord, I pray this morning, we turn to you. We give you this invitation. Lord, speak to us this morning. Move in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to have your invitation. David Dale's is going to lead us in our song. We, ha- we close every service with the invitation of me standing down front. This is your opportunity to respond. You give your life to Jesus. You get baptized. Just as Zach shared about in the video, you can become part of our church family and member here. Let's stand together. We're going to sing our hymn book. Hymn number 249. Jesus paid it all. I'll be standing down front. 249 in your song book.
2: I hear the
3: Saviour say,
2: Thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch in me. Find in me thine all in all. Jesus. All to Him I hold. crimson stain he washed it white as snow Lord now indeed I find thy power and thine alone can change a leper's spot and melt the heart of stone Jesus
3: He it white as snow. Thank you, David Dale. Thank you so much. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to, uh, uh, Joanne, you're going to come up here and make an announcement about Israel. One year from today, we're going to be there. She's going to share about that. Then I have a couple Thank you, Joanne. Thank you so much for that. That is, that is one year, I, th- I believe we leave on uh, January 15th, so about a year from, uh, a year from today with that. A couple other announcements I want to share, things going on. Be in prayer for our teenagers. They'll be coming back tomorrow. They're down in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee for their winter treat. It's certainly exciting to see what uh, the Lord's using, our, our merged Student Ministries down there. Um, just to remind you, this Wednesday night, we're still going on. We just kicked off our War Room, our uh, Women's Bible Study on Prayer. That's going on. We have our college Bible study with Max Godby, a former U.K. football player. That's occurring on um, on Wednesday nights. This coming Saturday is our men's prayer breakfast, our monthly breakfast. We have Jared Polson. He used to be a basketball player for the Kentucky Wildcats. He's our speaker. So Jared will be here sharing as well. Also be in prayer, our upward basketball begins this coming Saturday. We partner with Porter Memorial Baptist Church and Crosswoods Baptist Church. And we have upward games for the next eight Saturdays here in our gym beginning this coming Saturday from 9 o'clock to 3 o'clock. So that's very encouraging. They have over 300 kids signed up. So it's certainly exciting to certainly be a part of that. So I want to give those updates. David? Very good.
0: Let me also announce, if you're interested in handbells, playing handbells, there's going to be an organizational meeting tonight at 5.30. Right, are not going to practice. We're going to organize, OK? 5.30 this evening, if you're interested in playing handbells, Steve Moscow is going to be the director of that, and they'll meet in the choir room about 530 right before the service and then talk about future rehearsals. Let's close our service by singing Jesus' Sweetest Name I Know. Jesus,
2: Jesus, Jesus Sweetest Name I Know Fills my every longing Keeps me singing as I
6: go